battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against. And then he goes into good detail. I think he even goes a little bit far so that we are not confused. He wants us to know that we're not battling one another, but he says literally we're battling spiritual darkness, demonic, forces that are otherworldly, things that are more powerful than we are, and that if we try to approach or we try to overcome them in human strength, we will be defeated. He says, so therefore, um, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Zechariah said this, not by might and nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He says, in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with, the, with truth. Now, when you... Picture that belt of truth. I don't want you to picture like a one-inch little britches holder, okay? I want you to picture WWE, heavyweight champion of the world. I want you to picture something that is big and gaudy because it was to protect the, the stomach area, the vital organs in this area. It was not only there to protect that, but it was also there to cinch up the tunic so that there was agility, um, the ability to run, the ability to move, but also it was a utilitarian thing. It was the place that they could stick the sword. Um, it was not just a something that was sashed around. So we've got the belt of truth. He tells us to put that on. He says, um, stand therefore having girded your waist with the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, bulletproof vest, okay? This is something that was there, it was chain link, it was, or mail, whatever they call it. It was, it was metal, it was there for protection. It met the belt of truth. It guarded the heart. It was there for protection. It was frontward too, by the way. All of this armor that we're speaking about is not built for the person in retreat. You could get a fiery dart in your sit spot if you were running away from the devil, but when you come towards him, you are protected. He said, I want you to put on the belt. He says, I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the gospel, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that my utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is telling us in this time, we've already talked about the ones that I mentioned to you, Today, I want to talk to you about the helmet of salvation. I want you to picture it as a 
protective motorcycle type, if you will. You could hit your head, it's not going to hurt type of helmet. Now, why would we need a helmet, um, the helmet of salvation? Because every destructive pattern, every wrong thought in your thing in your life began as a thought. It is the protective barrier between you and the wiles of the devil. He says, you need that on. You need that thing, that piece, that part of your life that is impenetrable. Because Satan is crafty. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And if you want to have victory in your life, then you are going to have to put on that helmet. Um, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're going to be different, you're going to have to think different. If you're going to behave differently, you're going to have to think of a different way to behave. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul said, Take every thought captive. This isn't just a passive sitting around and hoping life will get better or hoping that I will think differently. No, this is an aggressive. This is an aggressive transformation. It's like the biggest loser for mind changing, okay? You want to change your mind. It is hard work. And he says, I want you to take every thought captive. So it's the idea of trying to catch something that is fast, that is crafty, that is darting, that is not just going to come to you when you say, come here. No, no, no. Your changed mind is going to be hard work. Can you say it with me? Hard work. Okay, there. In 1965, this guy, his name was Donald Barnhouse. He wrote a book called The Invisible War. And he was writing about this idea of the battle for the mind. And he said that it is vicious. It is intense. It is unrelenting. And it is unfair because Satan does not play fair. He went on to say, And the reason why it is so intense is that your greatest asset is your mind. Satan knows that if he can get you to think, he can get you to ponder. And if you begin to ponder, he knows that he can change your behavior. That's why every day that you wake up, the scripture says to enter his gates with thanksgiving, come into his courts with praise. That's why God went to the trouble of putting over 3,000 promises in scripture. So that when you began to feel defeated, you have something to call on that is a spiritual weapon against a spiritual enemy. He says, call on me and I will answer you. Come to me when you're weary. I will give you rest. Because listen to me, whatever gets your mind will get you. One of the most important things we need to learn, one of the most important things that we need to teach others is how to guard, strengthen, renew our mind. Because the battle for sin always starts in the mind. Listen to me, moms and dads. If you have young men in your home, Satan understands how God made a young man. And he will put every lurid, every possible measure of temptation in front of them to draw their minds away from the things of God and onto things of lust, things of perversion, those type of things. Don't just say, oh, he's a boy. No, 
He's, he is just a boy, yes, but it is hard work and it is absolute responsibility to teach them to think differently. Because if they're thinking away from the way of God, it's natural, it's how God made them. But at the same time, it is unnatural because they're a child of God and so we must teach. Don't wait for them to learn their habits in the locker room. Teach them at the house. Dad, teach them how to be a young man that honors God, that honors life. In, first, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold, by definition, one definition is a prevailing thought that stalks your life. A prevailing thought that stalks your life. So, do you understand what I'm talking about here? I'm not pretty. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I've sinned way too far. Nobody likes me. I was abandoned so everybody else will abandon me. You know what I'm talking about there. It's a prevailing thought. It stalks your life. And at any moment that God just might be about to break through and give you victory, or at any moment that God might be about to break through and put joy into your life, that thought pops up. And it will mow you down like an NFL linebacker. Because Satan knows, what did God tell us to do? To stand. Right? Do everything you can to stand. And then what do you do? You stand. So if Satan knows that if we are standing in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit, he knows that he is not going to have very much victory in our lives. But if he can get us to lay down our guard, if he can get us to lay down our thought, our decision to be an obedient follower, he knows that then he can occupy. And you do not want to be in occupied territory with Satan. You want to be occupied by the fullness and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so he says that it is good for the knocking down of strongholds to demolish them. Think about this. There is victory. There can be victory over the things that have knocked you down all of your life through Christ. There can be victory of that, over that prevailing thought or that defeated attitude or that depressed mindset that can take you there. Satan is defeated and God is victorious through the blood of Christ. And he says they, these weapons are good for that. It said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? That you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that Satan is defeated, that you can have victory, that you can overcome, that you can conquer, that you can stand, that you can walk, you can love, you are accepted. That is the knowledge of God. And Satan wants to knock you down. He says, but these weapons... These weapons demolish the arguments 
demolish the pretension, the things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And he says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So it is not just a resisting, although resisting is good, it is a replacing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every time the stronghold stalks you, you resist the stronghold. Ah, get away from me in the name of Jesus. But then you say, God, give me a truth to replace the lie. You dwell on the truth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. I'm not standing here in a, in a pristine state of mind. I'm telling you that I have been stalked. I am telling you that I have fallen into defeat with it. And I am also telling you that there have been times that I have resisted and replaced. And God's word is true. He will give you victory. He will step into your life. <laughs> now look, that last phrase. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. It literally means to control, to conquer, to bring into submission. We make every thought. I mean, it is as tough or tougher than physical training. It is the decision. When that stronghold pops up, it is the decision to go seek out the truth. It is the decision to get around other believers it is the decision to hold yourself under accountability. It's work. How do you do that? How do you, it's easy to say, do it. I will tell you this, I have noticed that my mind does not always mind. <laughs> it is very disobedient. It can be rebellious. It wants to go in a different direction. When I want to think a certain way, it wants to stray. When I need to ponder, it wants to wander. When I need to pray, it runs away. And that happens almost any time that I bow my head to pray or I open up my Bible. But he says, take it captive. It's building an attention span. It's doing what's right because it's right. In Romans 7, 19 and 24, Paul understood it. And he wanted you to know that he understood the difficulty of the task. He said, I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am. <laughs> the fact, the reason we have so many believers, there's the reason that there's falling in my life, your life, our lives, is that we do not know how to fight the battle of the mind. We don't know how to appropriate the helmet of salvation. We do not know how to take that truth that we've been girded with, put on the helmet of salvation, and guard our thought life. So what are we going to do today? We're going to look at four principles. Four principles about how to win the battle for your mind. 
The first one is, don't believe everything you think. I think, therefore I am thinking truth. No. You do not always think in truth. He wouldn't tell us to break down strongholds if every thought that we had was a truthful thought. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. Now, let's be honest. Usually when you have a thought, at least certain personality types, when you have a thought, you absolutely believe what you thought was 100% true. Can we agree on that? Now, some of us, others of us, have a thought, and we have no confidence in that thought at all. In fact, we can't act. We're, we're, we get, um, what is it, the paralysis of analysis. We are, we are locked down because we think, oh, my thoughts are not good. Well, that's a stronghold. It needs to be broken down. For the person that thinks my every thought is the right thought and if the world would just listen to me, it would be a much better place, that's a stronghold. We need to break it down. It says, take every thought captive and then do what with it? Submit it to the Lord Jesus. So in our arrogance, we need to submit it. In our insecurity, we need to submit it. He says, don't believe everything you think. Suggestions for false belief come from a world system. They come from Satan. They come from lifestyle. They come from your sinful actions. So there are a lot of things looking to put lies into your life. And that's my opinion. But I want to show you what the scripture says about the mind. Why you don't need to believe everything you think. First of all, in Deuteronomy it says that your mind is confused. It says in Job that your mind is anxious and closed. In Ecclesiastes it says your mind is evil and restless. And in Leviticus and Isaiah, it says that it is rash and deluded. Now, if I gave you that and said, oh, by the way, go trust whatever this is, what would you say? Oh, no. But yet, every single day, we listen to our minds to guide us because we have been deceived by the master deceiver to say, oh, you thought it, you go for it. But the Bible also talks about a troubled mind, a depraved mind, a sinful mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, a corrupt mind. Our minds are broken by sin, which means we cannot trust them. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, you've got to understand, in this day, and the understanding of heart, it's talking about the inner, the essence of the being. The, the mind is part of that. It says that it is deceitful. We tell ourselves things aren't as bad as they really are. We tell ourselves that things are better than they really are. We tell ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not doing okay. We're telling ourselves it's no big deal when it is a big deal. And that's because our minds are liars. <laughs> they want to lead you. Satan wants you to buy into something that's broken by sin. He wants you to follow it. And then he wants you to take other people and lead them astray. Now, what is the solution 
if you will, the four principles we're talking about is we begin to recognize, apart from God, I am nothing. Apart from obedience to the Holy Spirit, I am vile. The only good thing in any of you is Jesus. The only good thought you ever have is because Jesus put it there. Because on your own, you're not capable. Not submitted to the Holy Spirit, Satan will lead you astray. Your mind is broken. You're, it's there. John 8, 44 says, Father is the Satan of lies. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say we have no sin, or when we say is a better way to understand that, when we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Ladies and gentlemen, we lie to ourselves all the time. I'm okay. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's not the word, but you walk in a room and somebody says, how are you? Oh, it's good. It's real good. I mean, if you're an LSU fan, you came in church today and said, how's life? And he said, it's good. Isn't that right, Ashley? <laughs> and life is good. That's the truth, okay? Life is not dependent on that. If you're a Georgia fan, you'll say it's real good. Then you know they got to play Alabama in December and it's going to be real bad. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest about it. Yeah, well, they need to. Up until December, all the way. Yep, here we go. But listen to me. He will, our minds are broken. He wants us not only to lie to each other, He wants us to lie to ourselves. Here's another reason. You don't need to believe everything you think. The optic nerve, which is the only nerve that goes directly to your brain, actually sends more impulses from your brain forward than from your eye backward. Your mind is telling you what you see. That's why, and Nick, if I'm wrong, you stand up and say you're wrong, but you can get five witnesses who saw the same thing and get five different accounts of what happened because your mind is telling you what you saw. And the reason it's doing that is because you come to a situation with preconceived notions. You come to situations with experience. And you say, based on my experience, I saw. Or based on my preconceived notion, I saw. And so your mind sees what it wants you to see. It tells you to believe it. And therefore, we must be under the submission of the Holy Spirit or we can falter and fall and go directions. I think that is happening every single day right now in our country. Our minds are broken. Guard your mind. Don't believe everything. The next thing is guard your mind from garbage. Four principles for winning the battle of the mind. Don't believe yourself just because you thought it. Guard your mind from garbage. If you put bad data into something, you get bad results. If you put mental garbage into your mind, you will get garbage out. Proverbs 15, 4 says, A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the food feeds on trash. So if you're a fool, you're like a catfish. 
or a bottom feeder. The scripture says, do not be a bottom feeder. Search out, seek out truth. Let that be the thing that walks you through it. Two ways there to guard your mind. Philippians 4, 6 and 8 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And when you do that, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what did he do? He said, if you want to guard your mind, he said, pray about everything, right? He said, in everything, pray about everything. Now, this is not a constant walking around, dropping to your knees, bowing your head, folding your hands, but it is the, the, the attitude of conscience. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's walking with your mind set on God. If I take a step that's off your path, wake me up, slap me around, do whatever you got to do, get my attention. He says, when you do that, this peace of God which you can't even comprehend will guard your heart, it will guard your mind. The second part of that Guarding your mind is think about these things. Have you ever had an interaction with someone and they made a comment? They made a comment and before you even processed it, you reacted, you bowed up, you snapped back, Gail could probably give a testimony of times that I have done that. You know what I'm talking about. It's said, and you heard what you wanted to hear, maybe not even what they said. And Paul says that in the body of Christ, we need to begin to think on what's worthy of praise. Think on what's good. Think that the person sitting next to me may not have just come to church today to, to knock me down. They may have come to church today to worship God. They may possibly have come to church today to build me up, to edify the body of the saints. But yet, because just like with the optic nerve, our mind tells us what we should believe or what we're actually hearing when it may not be what we're hearing. And we react. And we get offended in a big hurry. And we do damage to relationships that can take, sometimes are irreparable, but can take weeks and months and years to change. Give me an example. Have you ever noticed that children, no matter the color of their skin, the socioeconomic status that they're in, or who's this or who's that or who is and who isn't. They just go out on the playground and play and say, Hey, Mommy, look, my new friend. And then we get involved and we just mess it up. Yeah. 
Paul says, think on these things. Think on the thing. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I will tell you, when you have those kind of thoughts, you can know right off the bat they did not come from the devil. Because he wants you to think on what's nasty and vile and untrue and wrong thinking about other people. He says, first of all, I want you to not believe everything you think. The second thing you would understand is that you guard your mind from garbage. The next thought I would have to this is that you never quit learning. Become a lifelong learner, a lover of knowledge, a lover of wisdom. Love, learn to love the act of learning. The word disciple literally means learner Matthew 11 28 and 29 you know what I love it when I read a passage of scripture and I know it and I know it so well I just kind of zip through it and pull out of it what I want and then I just leave the rest of it laying on the table and I love those times when God takes that passage and says there's more truth I still want to teach you this is one of those look at it come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you how often do we stop right there? Because we just tired and we want to rest, right? But look, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The Great Commission says, Teach them all I have taught you. We need to be learners. We need to learn from the source of truth. We need to learn from Christ. You want rest? Yes. You take his yoke. But then as you take that yoke, you are bound to him. You're connected to him. You cannot separate yourself from him. And so as you walk step in step with Jesus, you begin to learn what Jesus does. Then you begin to act like Jesus acts. And all of a sudden, the peace of God which passes all understanding is now guarding your heart and mind and things that used to knock you down do not have victory anymore. But it's being a learner. It's taking the thoughts captive. Jesus won the battle of the mind. And he wants us to learn from him. So don't believe everything you think. Guard your mind from garbage. Never quit learning. Stay humble. Why does God resist the... What does he resist? The proud and gives grace to the humble. Do y'all say humble or humble? Y'all put the huh on it? Yes, it is humble. Unless sometimes I say humble and then it's that way too. Why does Jesus resist the proud? Why does he give grace to the humble? Because the humble are not afraid to learn. The proud say, oh, I got this. How many times have you... um? Tried, you've seen your child or grandchild struggling with something and you know they're struggling and you just want to take it and teach them. And what do they say? I got this. I got this. And you go, okay, sit there and struggle all day. It's fine. But God comes to us and he sees us doing what our children are doing and he says, yoke up to me, learn from me, I will teach you how to live. And we say what? I got this. And then we want to know 
Why is life a burden? Then we want to know why we just fell into like some awful sinful mess. It's because we think at any moment that we are not humble, at any moment that we're not willing to learn anymore, we think that we know better than God. And I don't believe any person in this room would stand up to say, stand up and say that I know better than God. And if you are brave enough to do it, give me five seconds because I'm going out the door in case you get struck by lightning. That's the truth. We would not say that because that would be awful. But God says, learn from me. And we say, I got this. And it's the same thing as saying, God, I know better than you. Every time. Stay humble. Proverbs 18, 15 says, The mind of a smart person is eager to get knowledge, and the wise person listens to learn more. What's the old cliche? God gave us two ears, one mouth. We need to listen twice as much as we talk. That's a dumb cliche, by the way. Because <laughs> it's much more fun to talk than listen. I like the beginning of my sentence anytime better than the middle of yours. Right? I mean, that's where we are. That's how we think. But yet we're learning a spiritual truth that says, slow down, listen, stay humble. So let's close this thing out. With an acrostic for the word think. To remember in our lives about how to put on the helmet of salvation. How to think thoughts that are true. The T in think. Let's say that it represents take every thought captive. Let's go back to that first passage that we read in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says take every thought captive. It is the call to resist temptation. It is the call to replace a thought it is a call to diligently seek out truth. And then in your mind, when it wants to stray from what God says, you say, whoa, I'm resisting that. Whoa, I'm going to replace it. I'm going to take what's in this. I'm going to set it over here, and I'm going to discipline myself. Paul said, I beat my body, my mind myself. I beat myself into submission. In other words, he wanted to go that direction. It was good, and it was easy, and it was comfortable. And it brought glory to Satan and to himself. He said, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to learn what's right. I'm going to grab it. And that's what I'm going to think. So the T in this idea of think is take every thought captive. We need to take and sift our thoughts. Do you ever do that, by the way? Do you ever take what you're doing, how you're thinking, what you're believing about somebody else, and you say, God, can I use your book as a sifter? And can I put all of my garbage on top of it? And can I shake it through that and see what comes out on the bottom? Because I'm going to tell you this, the Word of God will catch the lie. The Word of God will catch the false belief. The Word of God will catch the wrong actions. And then in humility, we say, God, help us to replace. Help me to take every thought captive. The H 
helmet your head. Ephesians 6, 17 says, put on that helmet of salvation. Who we are, when we put this on in Christ, it is the barrier to Satan's lies. Apart from Christ, we do not have any protection against the fiery darts that Satan unleashes. Repentance actually means changing your mind. So if I'm going to repent and not change how I think or act, I haven't really repented. It's the proverbial, if I've offended anyone, I'm sorry. Well, I want to go ahead and tell you straight up, you have offended God. And so it's not if I have offended you, God, I'm sorry. No, God, I am offensive, I'm sorry. God, help me to helmet my head. The Falcons today, I guess they play today or tomorrow or sometime, they're going to play football in the near future. Today, they are not going to go out on the field for kickoff and leave their helmets on the sideline. They're going to grab them. They're going to put them on. They're going to buckle them so they do not get knocked off easily. Because they know if you hurt the head, you have neutralized the player. They have this thing now called concussion protocol. And it will shut you down faster than anything. They know that. So football players, as a whole, what do you deduct from that? Football players as a whole are smarter than Christians. There you go. <laughs> because they know that they are not going into battle without full gear. So we take every thought captive. We helmet our heads. We insert God's promises. Dwell on the promises of God. Stand there on them. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20 says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. You stand on the promises. I'm not pretty. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together. You came out just like I wanted you to, and I think you were worth dying for. I'm not smart. I was talking to a man the other day. He said, I, don't, I pick up books and I read them. I don't understand them. I pick up my Bible and things make sense. God wants you to know Him. He will do whatever He has to do for you to understand Him. It's hard to pinpoint. But most agree that there are 3,000 plus, and most say more than 3,500 promises in the Bible. Now you won't find that word 3,500 times. But there are over 3,000 things that God says, submit to me and I will do for you. Submit to me and I will protect you. Follow me. And I will provide for you. 
Take every thought captive. Helmet your head. Insert God's promises. Nurture your godly thoughts. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Two things there that the psalmist says that he's going to do and he's by default telling us to do. He says, meditate. Meditate and fix. So you think about it, and then after you think about it, you lock in on it. Do y'all ever go down the road and try to hit those little things in the middle of the road and see how many you can hit in a row where your tires will go thump, 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 thump? Come on, somebody in here does that besides me, right? Come on, Nee, I got you back there. Garfield, thank you, my man. See, there are people everywhere like that. So he says, think, meditate, and fix. When I'm trying to hit them little things that go thump, 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 I am not thinking about anything around me. I'm a distracted driver because I want to try to hit them. And I want to hear them go bum, bum, right there. Same thing in the Word of God. I need to meditate. I need to fix. I need to think. I need to be there. He says, do this for me. Keep on learning. 1 Timothy 4.15 Meditate on these things. Give yourself entire, entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. So, if you want to know, if you've put on the helmet of salvation, if you want to know you're resisting and you're replacing, look at where you were six months ago and see where you are today and say, I can see growth, I can see trust, I can see faith, I can see victory, I can see more yeses in my life today than there were yesterday. I'm not throwing up the big no to God. But listen to me. Remember, your mind is deceitful. And you'll say, oh yeah, I've been growing in Jesus. Look at me. And all you got was a new set of clothes and came to church. So it's not only what the Holy Spirit reveals to you or what you think you see, but ask the people around you. Am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I becoming more victorious? Do you see me stronger in the Lord than I was a year ago, ten years ago? Is there, is it there? And if they look at you and say no, find somebody else that they say yes. No, I'm kidding. That's not what you really do. That's not what you do really do. But you start looking. God, show me ways to trust you more. Show me ways to obey you. God, show me how to walk through a valley and bring you honor. God, show me how to live in victory. And not bring glory to myself, but to bring it to you. And then start watching what God does in your life. Guys, God gave you this armor for, your, for His glory, for your peace and growth and satisfaction and purpose. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this armor. I thank you that what it is is given to us to become victorious through the blood of Christ. God, I thank you that you have not made it available to some and unavailable to others, but to every one of us, it has absolutely been made available that it's just as freely as you gave salvation, you give victory. And God, I pray that we would learn to stand. 
that we would not be so easily deceived. Help us, Lord. Because given to ourselves, we stray. Submitted to you, the path is straight. God, we want to be victorious. God, I don't want to believe a lie about you, about someone else about myself or about my situation. Lord, in all of those things, we want to see truth. In all of those things, we want to learn to trust more. In all of those things, we want to learn to be obedient. In all of those things, we want to be a teacher. To help others. response this morning I guess in its simplest form begins with the, with the prayer Lord help me to resist replace, repent help me to put on the helmet of salvation I pray that each one of us would, would, would be able to take our thoughts captive. Father, I pray this morning that if one does not know you as Savior, that this morning would be a, the morning, the moment for salvation. Lord, we pray for the ones that are battling the mind, believing the lies. God, that this would be the beginning of a new journey of seeing who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and what we're able to give as followers of Christ. So this morning when we stand to sing and we respond, First, it's a call to Christ, to come to Christ for salvation. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to, to join, be a part of the Mount Zion church family. If you don't have a church home and God's leading you here, come. It's an opportunity for us, for others to, to pray for you. And that's why every Sunday the, these steps are open as your altar where you can come and lay it before God and say, Lord, here it is. I give it to you. So, Father, as we respond, I pray that you, as you speak, that we will hear and obey. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, sing, you respond.